All right, Acts chapter 13. I'm going to talk to you about the calling of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. We'll just, this is all we're going to read this morning. And Acts 13, 1 to 3. Now, there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers, and he lists them as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, we're back up in Antioch. If you remember in chapter 12, uh, Barnabas had gone up to Antioch because a lot of people had gotten saved up there. So he went up there to check on them, and he saw the grace of God working in Gentile and Jewish believers. They were just getting along great. It was a starting of a brand new church. It was excitement. Things were going on. So he goes over and gets Paul. Uh, at that time, he was known as Saul. He goes over to Turkey, gets him, brings him back. They spent a whole year there, and then they hear that there's a famine down in Jerusalem. Uh, the crops had failed. Uh, the economy was collapsing. So they take up a rather large offering. And Saul and Barnabas take that fi my financial gift, that money, down to the Christians in Jerusalem, which is quite a unique because the believers in Jerusalem were all Jewish. And they couldn't believe that all these Gentiles were getting saved. And then these Gentiles were giving them money. It was very humbling to the Jews that they cared more for them than the Jews cared for the Gentiles. It's amazing how God will humble us. So they've gone down to Jerusalem, and now they're back up in Antioch. They, they, they had taken that help to Jerusalem, but they had to get back up Jerusalem. Nothing's wrong with the church in Jerusalem, okay? They just weren't needed there. There were tens of thousands of believers there. There were just maybe 100 up in Antioch. And it was so refreshing. It was so exciting about being in a small church because there was so much that needed to be done. I hope you understand we're not a big church. I know you may think, wow, this is much bigger. Well, today we're not very big at all, but we're not a big church. There is so much that needs to be done. And so when you've got, you know, 10,000 people mega church, you've got paid, you know, people that, that do everything. In a small church, everything's done by almost by every, by volunteers. And Saul and Barnabas loved being in places of service. So back up north, they went to, uh, to Antioch. There was no small trip. You and I can drive up to the north or drive down to the north. But these guys are traveling 300 miles on foot to get back up to Antioch. Because it's there that they hear the call of God to serve the Lord, which is kind of unique because they're already busy serving. And yet the Holy Spirit is going to call them to go a little bit further than they're comfortable with. So let's start now and let's look at verse one where he starts off in just the first words. He says, now there were in the church in Antioch. Something's happened between chapter 11 to chapter 13. It wasn't just believers up there. There's a church up there now. Antioch was a fully functioning New Testament kind of church equal to Jerusalem. Didn't have, but maybe a hundred people. I don't know how many, it doesn't say compared to the tens of thousands down in Jerusalem but it was equal. There was no greater, bigger, more dominant church. This was a church. That's what Jesus was starting were churches. Uh, the church at Antioch didn't need Jerusalem to tell them what to do and where to go. No, each church is autonomous. It's itself. It's like when you have um, a son or a daughter and they grew up and they get married, guess what? They're their own family. And when you have an opportunity to help a church get started, they're their own church. They answer to God. They walk with God now, and they serve the Lord. Do you know, I have found out that God is not interested in only mega churches. There's nothing wrong with a church having 10,000, all right? I wouldn't know how to pastor 10,000 people. I wouldn't know how to do it. There's nothing wrong with having lots of people like in Jerusalem. But it is wrong. Let me stop there. It is wrong. When, um, uh, when the rest of the world needs gospel preaching and needs gospel churches and those Christians are just stuck on themselves and that happens a lot where all of a sudden all they think of is themselves and they forget there's a whole world that needs churches like this one. I found secondly that God loves and he's interested in small churches that are everywhere. 
new churches. So here's another church. This is the second church in the Bible. And there's in, in, in Acts and in the rest of the epistles there in the New Testament, you'll find more than 40 different churches mentioned. Because that was the goal, was starting. And that wasn't the end. Those churches were starting more churches. And that's the goal of Christianity, is not to just have our church. Now it goes on. It says, now there were in the church, verse 1, that was in Antioch. And he says, certain prophets and teachers. There were some prophets and teachers. These men were gifted. They were gifted in the church in Antioch. They didn't list, it doesn't list priests and popes and canons, just prophets and teachers. Both kinds of men had one purpose, and that was to write down, preach, and teach New Testament truths that we now have in our Bible. They're writing what was not written yet. They're preaching what was not written yet. And so that's why God used specifically prophets. But the gift of teaching, these people were gifted by the Holy Spirit, to help people know what Jesus did on the cross and the things that had changed and the grace of God that is available now to whether Jew or Gentile, Irish or Texan. Then five men are listed. Keep going there in chapter chapter 13, verse 1. Certain prophets and teachers, looking at the list, he says, Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So here are these men. The first guy is Barnabas. He is the star Christian. He's sort of, man, uh, everybody looks up to him. He seems to just be an encourager. He's everybody's best friend. He's the star Christian. Then you got this guy named Simeon of Niger. Now, Niger's a long way. It's about 3,000 miles away. 3,000 kilometers away, Niger is north of Nigeria. I bet you didn't know that. That orange block is one of the poorest nations in the world. It's one of the bottom of nations. It's basically 90% Sahara Desert, and it's called Niger. And here's a guy from Niger, and God's using him. From a different place, different culture, long away, and there he is in Antioch, and he's a prophet or 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 a teacher. There's another guy there named Lucius of Cyrene. Now, Cyrene is an island uh, and uh, off in the Mediterranean. And there's this guy named Lucius. And there is some idea that maybe this is Luke because uh, Lucius is the same as Luke as well as Lucas is Luke. It may be the, gospel, the, the writer here. This is where he comes from. We don't know. I just know you got this guy named Lucius of Cyrene. Then you got another guy named Manan of Galilee. He actually grew up in the household of one of the most evil men in in Israel at the day named Herod. He grew up in that home. Now, I don't know that some some historians say that he was sort of the kid of a concubine of Herod. Some say that he was just was one of the children of one of the servants. I don't know. But he grew up in one of the most wicked, bloodthirsty homes you could ever live in. And here he is serving God. Isn't that an amazing contrast? You say, well, you don't know what I grew up. My father was a drunkard. My father, you know, was, was a thief. My father was this. And man, I tell you what, I grew up in the worst gangs. Nothing you were determines who you are in Christ. You got to know he made you free. It's time for you to live free. And Manan here, he's from Galilee area. Doesn't say exactly where again. But the fact is, look at all the different places these people are from we've got another guy look at the list who do we normally think of as the greatest christian probably who's ever lived saul or paul but he's last on the list look where god starts with him god may start with you at the bottom as well never think that's where you're going to stay when you serve the lord just the only difference between you and saul of tarsus is he Loved God and served God with all his heart, and God kept moving them up. At one point, you'll find it'll be Barnabas and Saul going here, Barnabas and Saul going there, Barnabas and Saul preaching here, Saul and Barnabas going there, Saul and Barnabas. There'll be a flip. And then the two of them will split, and Paul will take Silas with them, Barnabas will take John Mark, and it'll be doubly. But he starts off at the bottom. I say, well, pastor never notices me. Pastor never recognizes me. Nobody ever knows what I do. God does. 
can leave it to God where he puts you on that roster, okay? Because does Barnabas write any in the New Testament? No. Paul does. 14 of the epistles God uses Saul to do. And he started off at the bottom. Just a little remark there about where you find yourself. So look at this. This church in Antioch is a mixture of different cultures, different languages, different nationalities, yet what were they known as? We read it in Acts chapter 11. They were first called Christians. It was not a Cypriot church. It was, a, it was not a, I'm going to use the wrong word. I'm not sure what they call themselves, but it was not a Nigerian church. It was not a Cyrenian church. It was not a Jewish church. What was it? It was a Christian church. It was full of all kinds of different people. The first United Nations. Now, what were these men doing? Look there in verse 1. It tells you there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers. Now, if you're a prophet and teacher, you're doing stuff. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord. I love this. Now, just, just well, let's go ahead and read the rest of verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the, circle the next word, work. Not for the holiday, for the ease, but for the work we're into, I've called them. But up there at the first, I want you to see, what were these men doing? They're using their gifts. Every one of us got a, an enablement from God after we got saved that wasn't there before we got saved. Maybe you have a talent. Maybe you play the piano. Maybe you sing. Maybe you, maybe you, you know, you can, uh, I don't know, do all kinds of things. And that's a talent. But what God gives is a gift to serve. And we've neglected that. We've neglected that humbling act where you get no attention, but you bless someone else. These guys were busy using their gifts. God never blesses lazy people. Your boss won't either. These were spiritual gifts. So these men were preaching and teaching and writing and answering questions, helping people grow in their faith and confidence in the Lord. Second thing, they're in the church, which means they were being faithful. There were two great churches at that moment, one in Antioch, one down in Jerusalem. And they could have been like a lot of Christians, church hopping. Pastor, I'll be with you this week. Next week, I'm going to be down in Jerusalem because I like their singing. I'll be up in two weeks because I like your preaching. But I heard there's another church over there, and I like their fellowship. That's not what Christianity needs. That is a disaster in the making. What God looks for is, will you be faithful and make this your home? Wherever It's called a local church for a reason where you look at a place and you say, that's where I'm going to plant my family. It's where I'm going to plant my feet. I'm going to be faithfully there. Antioch was their church home. They worked as a team. Do you notice here are five prophets and teachers. In verse 2, he says, separate me, not just Barnabas, but Barnabas and Saul. He's, these men were already called to work together. Now he's going to take two of them and keep them working together because God blesses teams. You go into the hospital, does a doctor just take care of you? Or are there not nurses and registrars and orderlies? What is all that? It's a team. And when people come into church, there needs to be a, an emergency team that says, how are you? I've prayed for you this week. I'm glad to see you. Thanks for coming. Is, is, can I get you a cup of tea? Can, I, can, I, can we just say hi? What are you doing? You're ministering. You're encouraging. Then somebody else comes along and says, ooh, what are you doing this week? You want to meet for coffee? You meet, listen, a church is supposed to be a team of people that ministers to people. Don't leave it to pastor to be the only one that is the cheerful, happy person that goes around trying to greet everybody. Everybody should be fighting to greet one another. Amen. This church worked as a team. And they were ministering to the Lord. This is fantastic. Look there in verse 2. As they ministered not to the people, but who are they actually ministering to? To the Lord. Take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 25. Go back to the left, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, in verse 34, 
Matthew 25, 34, speaking of himself, Jesus says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and yet ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? I don't remember ever doing that with you. Verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto who? All right, so you got to change the way you look. you got to change your perspective. When you are doing something for somebody else, do it as unto the Lord, because that's who matters. You serve the Lord. You say, I don't understand why I have to put up with so-and-so, because you're serving the Lord, not them. You serve people, and you actually start to treat them as the Lord when you realize it's for the Lord. And these men were ministering to the Lord. Go to Romans chapter 12. What type of gifts, what type of things did Holy Spirit give us to use to minister? Romans chapter, well, I'm not going to, I have to get to that in a minute. I thought I was there. I'm not there yet. But Romans chapter 12, verse 10, we'll come back to this chapter in a moment. But look what he says. Be kindly affectioned one to another. With brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. What are the last three words? Say it with me. Serving the Lord. So what? when you are kind and affectionate to each other, when you're showing kindness to everyone, you're showing it to who? To the Lord. When you prefer others above your own wants and you're honoring others, who are you honoring most, most of all? The Lord. When you're hardworking and not lazy, who are you working for? The Lord. When you're passionate in your spirit about the gospel and church and the Bible, who are you serving? Who are you trying to get the attention of and say, I love you? It's the Lord Jesus. I'll read just without time. Colossians 3.23 says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to who? As to the Lord and not unto men. So back here in Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 13. These men were ministering to the Lord and they were doing one other thing. Acts chapter 13. The end of verse 2, oh no, verse, the beginning of verse 2 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. So these men were not just praying, but they were fasting. They were regularly ignoring meals. So that that time that they would spend fixing food and eating food, which is a lot of our day, could be devoted to praying for bigger things, for, for needs. Fasting, if you haven't figured it out yet, is a powerful weapon against Satan's dominance and Satan's darkness, whether out in the world or in, in your own life. It is a powerful way to tear down all the walls between us and God. Christian men need to be able to ignore their stomachs for a day or two or three and instead spend some time fasting so they can get closer to God than they are to food. How close are we to food? <laughs> Usually the fridge is center of our life. Well, actually the TV is center and then the fridge is just next to it. Food is so easy to get. You're driving along and you think McDonald's. You're driving along and you think oh, I can pop in here. Food is so easy and yet God seems so far away, doesn't he? When you fast, you say, Lord, I'm going to put that as far away so that I can get closer back to you. Fasting was what they were doing before God ever called them. It was from these men that God is going to call two men, not to be apostles, but missionaries. God's going to call men to be evangelists. Missionary means men on a mission. And the Bible word is this evangelist. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 5, he says, do thou the work of an evangelist. I know you're a pastor, but make sure you 
Make, you don't just do busy work, do gospel work. Missionaries are men who will go anywhere and will start churches, preaching to everyone and getting anyone to decide, to decide to follow Jesus. And from those new believers who get baptized, you form a new church full of committed believers. Now, the Holy Spirit then speaks, which is maybe you just read it and you didn't think about it, but think about it. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. How did the Holy Spirit speak? He did not speak like Mount Sinai. When the nation of Israel, when all the, the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they all got uh, next to Mount Sinai and they were there. And then Moses went up and God said, you better go back down there and tell them to back off because I'm about to speak. <laughs> and when God spoke from that mountain, they hit the dirt. They were terrified. They were, they were scared to death. It was overwhelming. And they said, you go back up there. Whatever he says to do, we'll do. So when the Holy Spirit spoke, he didn't speak like God spoke at Mount Sinai. Go to 1 Kings chapter 19. First Kings, and aren't you glad? First Kings chapter 19. First Kings 19 in verse 9. This is Elisha. I'm sorry, Elijah. This is Elijah. He's um, going through a kind of a hard time. Very discouraged, kind of worn out, burned out. It happens in the ministry. And he came thither. He actually goes to Mount Sinai. He goes and he gets in a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. And he said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And old Elijah, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, God of hosts. You notice me, God? I've been so on fire for you. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And now they seek my life to take it away. Ugh, hate my life. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and a strong wind rent the mountains. There's a storm came up and began to pull the mountain apart and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a what? A still, small, what's the last word? So Elijah is kind of pretty burned out. He's probably, when, when God says, what are you doing here? I've been very jealous for the Lord. And the Lord says, we need to have a talk. Come on out here. God shows how he could be loud. And then he says, this is my voice. I want you to listen to it. And dear Christian, let me tell you, thank God he doesn't speak like from Mount Sinai. He speaks very quietly and you need to hear him. We have missed the voice of God. We've missed so much. When you read the scriptures, who are you listening to? Go back to, uh, go back to Acts. And I'll show you a couple of other things about this thing. How did he speak? He spoke to uh, he spoke to everybody. There in chapter 13, verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Barnabas, Saul, I want you. Is that what he said? No, he didn't speak to Barnabas and Saul. He spoke to the whole church. He says, separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul. Who's he talking to? To the church. For the work whereunto I have called them. Everyone in that church knew the Holy Spirit was saying, I need these two men. It wasn't just the pastor or the elders. Everyone knew the Holy Spirit was speaking. And what an, it was a great church that had a soft heart and a and a desperately a good ear to hear such a small voice. Everybody heard it. Does the Holy Spirit speak to us today? Most definitely. 
most definitely. Ladies and gentlemen, I have heard the Holy Spirit, and I love it when the Holy Spirit actually shows me, talks to me. Does he talk to me audibly? No. Do I hear a voice? No. But do I know that he's talking to me? Yes, because it'll always be the opposite of what I think he would say. And it's always when I'm in the word and when I'm serving God, the Holy Spirit guides me and speaks to my heart. It's an amazing thing, folks. Um, when you pick up your Bible, one of the best things for you to do is actually read it out loud. Because when you read it out loud, you'll hear your voice, and it's almost like he wrote that to me. And he's talking to me. And we have made it so the Bible is sterile. It is dead. But this, guess who wrote the Bible? Inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we want God to sort of just speak to us through our walls, speak to us in, in, in you know, when we go uh, uh, on a hill walk or something. God, speak to me. He speaks to you right here. And we don't listen. The Holy Spirit will tell you, let no grumbling uh, no complaining. And we go, oh, yeah. Bible says be angry and sin not. Oh, I'm not going to worry about that one. And the Bible says a whole bunch of things that we don't listen. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we need to hear him. You know, when I sit down where you're sitting and somebody's preaching, I don't want to hear them. I want to hear the voice behind them. I want to hear the Holy Spirit speak to me. I've had guys, I sat where you're sitting, and I've heard some of the most boring, lame, monotonous words. And then the Holy Spirit said, did you hear that? Did you hear what you just said? And I go, well, that's good. Oh, I never thought of that. Thank you, Lord. I was about to go to sleep. And we think that, oh, we have to have great performance in the pulpit. No, we don't. We need to have great hearers in the pew. We need, because that's the book we need to be listening to. When somebody stands up and is preaching their heart out, listen for the Holy Spirit who will say, yes, that's right. You better do that. You know, when you are kind of curious, what do I do? I, I, I don't know what to do. Seek godly counsel because God will use a godly man to guide you. Walk with godly men, the Bible says and you will be godly because God will use them to speak. He's not going to speak to you audibly, but he will speak to you if you know where to listen. And then he calls. Verse, three, verse 2, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereinto I have called them. I can't call you. I can ask you to do something. I can say, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And that's my job. I'm a manager. I just like in any employment. I say, I need you to do this. Good. Thank you. But that's not a calling. A calling is when the will of God grips you and will not let you go. And you're influenced by every word you read. It's like a pull in a direction you've never, ever gone before. These men already had a calling. Do you know, there are three callings. There's more than this, but there are three basic callings every man has in this room right now. First, to follow Jesus. That's your first calling. They'll follow the pastor. There are plenty of people in church who are following their pastor. Don't follow me. Follow Christ. Follow Jesus. Jesus, everybody he met up, he said, follow me. That is where you turn from whatever you're doing, good or bad. You turn and you decide, I'm following Jesus. The second calling is to serve people. God did not call noblemen. God did not call bigwigs. God called servants. And the calling of God on your life, I don't care who you are, is to serve, to minister, to come in low and just take care of people. In that day, I bet it wouldn't happen in this church. But in that day, when people came into a church or came into a house, guess what? was the lowest thing you'd ever find somebody doing, washing their feet. And yet Jesus said, as I have washed your feet, you wash one another's. That's serving. That's our calling. And the third thing was to preach and teach the gospel, to go soul winning like we do on Saturdays at 1 p.m. We're called to go. Those are our callings. 
But it's from that, those men that are already fulfilling that calling, they, the Holy Spirit says, I need you to go a little further now. See, most Christians go only a little of the way into the Christian life, and then they get comfortable, and then they stop. And that's a shame. It's like most marriages. The guy is like Mr. Don, Don Quixote, and he's, he's tall, dark, and handsome, and he's all the money, and he's Mr. Cool, and he's, he's Mr. Impressive, and he's, oh, I'm just going to wow you with every word, and my eyes will never leave you. And then they get married. And everything dies because that's all that he wanted. And a lot of people are like desperate. I need to get saved, Pastor. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to hell. How do I get saved? And as soon as they get saved, okay, I'll see you in a few weeks. I'm kind of busy this next few weeks. Really? You won't be in church? Yeah, and I, that King James Bible is a little bit too much for me. I need to get a newer version, you know. I don't like to really have to think while I'm reading. And they only go so far and they stop. The Holy Spirit says, no, 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 buddy. <laughs> you haven't yet begun. I'm calling you to go further than you've ever thought you could because we're called to go a little further. God never calls a person to do something, a, a person in sin to do something except to come out of it and separate it from it. So you say, why didn't God call me to be a missionary? Probably because there's stuff in your life that is wicked and vile and you won't deal with it. But he does call good men to come, what, come away from whatever they're doing so they can do something better. By the way, he didn't ask, did he? He commanded. You know why people don't like the Bible? Because it makes commands. It actually says, do it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And the Holy Spirit didn't ask for volunteers. Now, I asked for volunteers. I said, who will help? Who will help? Amen. But the Holy Spirit said, I need those two right there. You, you separate them. It's kind of, if you can imagine an army, and you got all these guys up on the front line, they're all standing up their attention, and the, um, the, the captain or the commanding officer says, all right, two of you are going to be headed off to the front line and will open a passageway for us for us to get to the enemy. Now, if you ask for volunteers, this is what happens. Everybody will take a step back. <laughs> and there'll be two there standing right. That's not, and he's not asking for volunteers. And the commanding officer says, I need Barnabas and Saul. That was it. No debate. It was a call. That's the Holy Spirit. You know what the church did? They set them apart. They put them on a track to go wherever God was calling them. And I thought this was a cool picture. I don't know. When I was a kid, I was, I was in one place in San Antonio, Texas, where I saw one of these in real life. Do you know what this is? It's called a wheelhouse. The train would come in and get in the middle of there, and a big steam motor would turn that train. And sometimes it would be so that it would go into for repair or whatever. But that engine also could be there'd be a train uh, track going this direction to this town, a train track going this direction from that wheelhouse. And that's the church. And the church takes a person and directs them and says, get going. Come on, let's serve God. You go that way, I'll go this way. And the church separated them, set them to the point where, now go serve God. They were supported by that church. They were prayed for by that church. The church sacrificed for them. The church helped them fulfill their calling. Every Christian needs to do their part. Say, I'm not called to be a missionary. Fine. Just like in World War II, there was, they called this propaganda. But what it was was motivation. And they had posters put around everywhere saying, our boys need us to, um, you know, to sacrifice so that they have what they need to win the war. And we've got an opportunity to send out missionaries and to support missionaries and to start churches. And that means we've got to do our part. That means tithing, make sure our bills are paid here, giving to missions, helping them get to the field and soul winning here and praying for our missionaries that they don't self-destruct, they don't get discouraged, they don't come home. Do all you can because we are in a war. And when the Holy Spirit says, I need these two, that church says, 
we will do what we can to keep them going. And they did. The responsibility, if I can get there, there we are, of every church, look in verse 3. And when they all had fasted, the church now fasts and prayed. They laid their hands on them and they sent them away. The responsibility of every church is to encourage people to use their spiritual gifts. Let me talk to you about spiritual gifts for a second. Go to Romans chapter 12 because everybody wants the gift of healing. <laughs> everybody wants the gift of understanding. Romans chapter 12. Everybody wants the gift of speaking in tongues and miracles. Let me show you what gifts God has given this dispensation, this age. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 5 to 8. Then I'll come back and talk about it. So then, so we being many, many people, we are one body in Christ. And everyone members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Wait means be a waiter, serve in our ministering. Or he that teacheth, focus on teaching. Or he that exhorteth, on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. And he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy, do it with cheerfulness. That's a list of seven servant gifts. The gift of prophecy is just basically the gift of preaching. And um, each one of these gifts you read there, I just want to take a step back for a second. You'll notice there, let me take you back. I, I don't want to miss this. We're one body, many individuals, but we are few or many. We are one church. Verse um, uh, 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace of God. We're gifted by God's grace, not because I was able. It's because he's able. Grace is an enablement that God gives me to do what I couldn't do. I'm saved by grace because I can't save myself. Amen. And I serve by that same grace because I can't serve by myself. I can't help people that I don't like unless God enables me. So we come to the gifts and he says, I want you to preach my word. He says, ministry, just, just living like a servant. Just help people and meet needs is a gift. He goes on, and there are people in this church who have the gift of ministry. They can't preach, but they love serving. They love helping. Their heart is in making sure people are ministered to and their needs are met. Then there's teaching. That's discipleship. That's teaching children's church. That's teaching teenagers on how to live godly in this dark world. That's teaching young married families how to stay sane gift of teaching, exhorting. I think that is so needed. That's an encourager. That's Barnabas. Barnabas had the gift of exhortation. He could come in and motivate everybody. Let's serve God and they would get moving. Giving. You know, if God has given you the gift, given you the ability to give, then give with simplicity. Don't ever make a show of it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give a thousand euros today. That's not giving. That's showing off. But do it with simplicity. Just give. So that, so that things get done, so the bills get paid, that's a gift. Then ruling, that's managing. That's where you lead people to accomplish things that are great for God. You know, a coach, you know what a coach does? He rules his team, doesn't he? He tells them, you're off the team. Uh, you're on there playing now. Okay, you can get back on now and I'll call so-and-so. He's ruling, isn't he? He's managing. He says, I need you to run another lap. No, another one again, because you're, 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 you're not up to par. And you know, in a church, you need people who can manage people. They may not be the nicest, but they get things done. That's a gift from God. And then there's the mercy. I love that one. That's just people who can, who deal with somebody, never been to church in the last 30 years, and they just, they meet them, and it's like they're the best of friends. That's mercy. That's kindness, unmerited kindness. And, and a church needs to be full of people who are gifted. I don't know how to gift you with that. But the Lord has given you that desire to show mercy to people who don't deserve it. <laughs> because you're saved. God gifted you with that. These are priceless gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to everyone who's a believer. 
But the church is to get everybody to use that gift. That's why we have children's church. That's why we have ministries. That's why I have the youth camp and the men's camp and the, um, uh, the Bible clubs and why we have children's church. I think I already said that. Why we have different things. You know why? To give you a chance to minister. It's not so that I can do all of these things. It's so that everyone in this room, you have a gift. You may not be able to play the piano, may not be able to sing. You may not be able to do anything like other people, but you can use the gift God gave you to serve. Find what it is. Then build people into teams. Our job is to get people to work together as teams. We don't need star players. You know what happens? You get somebody like with Manchester United, you get somebody with Arsenal, and you get a really good star player, the team goes down, doesn't it? Because the star player doesn't make the team. What makes the team a winning team is when they work together. Nothing wrong with being a great player, but when that great player is so obsessed with himself that they can't work with other people, they don't pass the ball, they just keep the ball all the way to the goal, the rest of the team says, I'm just going to sit back here and let him do it. And the team suffers. And the same thing is true with church because you're letting me always have the ball. It's time to share the ball as a team. I need Gavin up here preaching sometimes, amen? We got to work together as a team. If, if there's a chance to, to do a ministry and you're working with so-and-so and you don't like them, learn to work with them. That's your team. Because that's my job as a, as, as a pastor of this church, to get people to work together and then to minister to who? Unto the Lord. I love how it says, verse 2, they ministered to the Lord. You know, Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and they were created. We were created to please You. That'll put a lot of things in perspective. Purpose of this church is to get you busy serving God. I'm glad you're here, but you're just barely here in the door. I want to get you all the way in. And I'd like to teach you to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit because he's still calling men to go. Hardest thing with all of the noise of this world, with all of the media, with all of the phones. It, it, mm. How can I get you to listen to the Holy Spirit when you can't hear my voice? How can I get you to where you, I tell you how it is if I can put the, 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 the concern and the burden to have and to know the will of God. Say, Lord, I've done my life all these years and it's just led to hole after hole after hole. Show me your will. Wish I could tell you, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's the greatest thing you'll ever do. Read your Bible, folks. I mean, I mean, there are thousands and millions of books about the Bible. Read the one book God gave you, the Bible. Listen to that. This, and we as a church need to take the calling of men into the ministry seriously. I love church. I love our fellowships. I love good preaching. I love people. I love soul winning. But I yearn more than anything that God would call men into the ministry. That's what I yearn for. And in this church, we need to have that burden that God would take a nobody and get them to go to somebody and tell them about Jesus. And you know, when, when somebody does get called, we need to be able to send them into the ministry. Are we ready to do that? Could if somebody were to say, I'm ready to go, Pastor? Well, there's some preparation maybe. But wow. That's what a church is. A church is not Sunday morning. A church is on the go. A church is a, a training center. It's a place where we're mentored and molded and fashioned to serve. Acts is about the starting of churches all over the world by preaching the gospel. Where do you get the men to do that? From churches. Mm. You know, in the old, you know, when we think of a harvest, Jesus said the harvest is white which means it's ready to harvest. It's past time for harvest. When we think of a harvest, we think of a harvester. We think of, of you know, mega machines that go around. That's not what Jesus had in mind, and that's not the gospel ministry. You know what the gospel ministry is? That. 
back-breaking work. If you've never, I've only done that once in my life. I was hired by a guy. He said, I need you. He actually hired three of us, as a matter of fact. It's not us, by the way. But he hired three of us to cut down a field. Now, I had never seen his field. His field was not filled of wheat. But he said, I'll pay. And it was, man, I said, hey, man, all right, great. So we got there. I didn't know. I thought we were going to have machetes, you know, give me a machete. Big knife, and I'll cut the thing down. Or I thought maybe I'd have a big riding lawnmower. You know what he gave us? A scythe. A stick with a bent knife on it. And I didn't even know how to use the thing. He said, he said, you just swing it. All right. So you know how I was old? I was about 19 years old, all muscle. And I take that thing, and I start to go, wow. And I think it's going to be like butter. Whoa, yeah, man, this is going to be breezy. And I hit that. In the, it was just weeds, and it was a decade worth of weeds, three feet high. We started at like 10 in the morning. We didn't stop until 7 that night. I died 17 times that day. I, man, I have never worked harder in my life. I never want to do that again. Moving that thing, my back, oh, that's hard work. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, to go into the harvest and break our back. And we're not given the most incredible tools. We're given our broken voice. We're given a perfect book, yes, but we're given a challenge that is almost insurmountable except by the grace of God. So when I ask you to help me prepare men for the ministry, see how hard it's going to be for me to get men to want to do that. And yet that's the call. That's the need because that harvest is souls and they're rotting on the vine. They are out there and nobody's giving them the gospel. Tony was telling me yesterday, somebody he had called in order to get something from some Christians. Uh, it was a tape and some uh, calendar and some things like that. This guy came to the door and probably quite terrified like most everybody would be and just handed it to him and then went away. Never told him anything. Tony didn't get the gospel from him. Tony was expecting him to talk, and the guy didn't say anything. Now, at least he gave him a tape and some of the gospel. Wow. What if that guy had just said, hey, do you know where you'd go if you died? How the conversation may have gone. We need men, especially. I'm glad for everybody who goes soul with I'm glad for everybody who has our tracks. But, gentlemen, talking to you, we need men. We need Barnabas and Saul's who are already busy in church so that he can take them further. You see, in conclusion, the simple thing is Ireland needs men. Right now, men don't even know they're men here in Ireland. We've got filth going on just here in Ballin College where people are same-sex marrying and being celebrated and all this stuff. We're in a dark time. And if you think it doesn't matter that we live for God and we stand for the Bible and we get out soul winning and we care about God being honored instead of the devil, we need men. This church needs men. I want to have a church full of men. We have women who look up to them and says, we have godly men in this church. I'm terrified of the kind of men that the world is producing. Let's produce some godly men in this church. We need men who listen for the call. I'm actually saying, Lord, and, and, and I just, my example, I was just a new Christian some missionaries came through and preached that the world is going to hell. Who will go? You know what I prayed? I prayed a real simple, stupid prayer. I says, Lord, can you use me? And that was one of the times the Holy Spirit said, yep. And I said, okay. My pastor didn't believe me. He said, we'll see you later. Because <laughs> I came up to him and I said, I think God's called me a missionary. I think I could be a missionary. And he says, we'll see. but I made myself available. I said, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Don't let me be the only one in this room who's ever heard this voice of God say, I want to take you further than you've ever been. Because maybe God will ask you and you'll need to answer that call. And it'll be the hardest thing you ever do and you'll probably lose everything doing it. But it'll be the greatest life you ever lived and it's the Holy Spirit calling you. It's not me. It's not your parents. It's the Holy Spirit of God. 
Did you know one soul is worth it all? One soul. If you've not been born again, then you need to answer the call to repent and believe the gospel. Because that call goes out to you too. Jesus said, follow me. Don't follow the church. Don't follow the Christians. Follow Jesus. Stand with me. Let's bow in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you consider for a second that I can come along and say, I need you to do such and such, and I need your help with such and such, and you can choose whether you want to or not. Amen. But have you ever considered the Holy Spirit needs to be able to ask you, not even ask, but say, I need you. Maybe for a small thing, maybe for a big thing. Whatever it is, would you be willing to do it? Would you be willing for God to give you the burden, not just for people to get saved, but that men would be called into the ministry? That's what God's doing here. You see, the church in Antioch was a great church, but God said, let's do it again and again and again. Jerusalem started great. Now Antioch's going, let's get a hundred more. I wonder what Ireland could do with a hundred new churches preaching straight up gospel. Bible, godliness, character, Christ-likeness. So, Father, we come to you this morning. I'm convicted. When we come to portions of this, like the scripture, we can just read across and miss everything, but something marvelous happened here in these three verses. You took the train of Christianity and you made a branch and you directed in a new direction. You didn't even tell them what they were going to be doing. You didn't even tell them where they were going to go. It's kind of like Abraham. You just said, let's go. So, Lord, may we never be afraid of your will and never be afraid of your call. I just pray that men would be ready because I know the need is great. And the laborers are few. So we're going to pray for some laborers this morning whom you can send forth into the harvest. By the same grace that you saved us, I pray that you would call and enable in this room even. We don't have to have a thousand people. We don't have to have five. We just need one who will say, Lord, if you want to use me, whatever it is, I'll go where you want me to go. Lord, if there's somebody in this room who's not saved, I pray they hear your voice saying, come unto me. I'll save you. I gave my life for you. I died so that you could have eternal life. All you got to do is believe. You're right now stuck in sin. That sin will take you to a devil's hell. You'll go into a grave and eternity will be spent away from me. And Jesus says, why don't you look unto me and be saved? Why don't you cry out to my name? My name is easy. It's Jesus. Call unto me. I'll save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like that, do that right now. And we'll rejoice with you. Lord, I pray that you'd work in every heart. Don't let us ever be content with what we heard. May we be humbled and burdened. In Jesus' name, amen.